said, perfect timing. Maybe we get enough time, me and Titus is going to have this thing down just right. How are you all doing today? <laughs> oh, fine. I thought you hesitated. Sean mentioned a few moments ago that we had a, a very good meeting this past week, and I have to agree with that. I believe we did. Uh, Brother Jeff uh, was well prepared. I knew he would be. And uh, he preached the gospel in uh, simplicity and truth. And we, uh, we enjoyed that very much. From what I heard from people talking, I think uh, everybody enjoyed Jeff being with us. Uh, he's, uh, he's a very good man. He's a godly man. Uh, I appreciate him very much. Haven't known him all that well through the years, but I've known him for, I'd say, 30 years anyway. Uh, he's always, everywhere I go, he's always there. And he's always busy. I don't know how he gets involved with everything going on, but he seems like he does. But he's, uh, he's well thought of throughout our, our great brotherhood. Uh, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who, who came out to the meeting. I don't know if, if you realize uh, how important you are as an individual to any of our gatherings. With whatever gathering it is, um, there's no way uh, that we can be as as whole without you as we are with you. Whenever we come together, and I look out over the audience, and uh, of course, I can't recognize if everybody's here or missing, but I, I'm always comforted a great deal by the faces I see that I'm very familiar with. But I'm not the only one that, that looks. Uh, our speaker, for example, he looks. He gets acquainted with uh, the crowd, how it's balanced. Uh, but there's another group of people that look, and that's our visitors who come to be with us also. Uh, they will ask many times, where's so-and-so? I thought they came to church here. Well, you know, they do. Uh, something must have come up. They weren't here. Make some kind of excuse. But... Uh, when we're absent, we're always missed. People miss us, and they wonder where we're at. Something's wrong with us, how our health's doing or whatever. But you, uh, you are very important to the church here at Center Grove. I know we tend to think of ourselves as being insignificant, but that's not true. There are always people watching. Children are watching. Our little children here, they watch. And uh, they get familiar with people, and if someone is not present, they notice it. But uh, we had great participation this year, and I know the elders appreciate that very much. Uh, you always wonder if anybody's going to come. You, you organize something, get everybody to come together, 
then you wonder if anybody's going to show up. Uh, and also, especially to our ladies, we had uh, very good meals. Uh, I missed one, uh, hated that, but uh, I did make it to the rest. But uh, we appreciate so much. I'd like to thank you, Carl, just a moment ago. Uh, appreciate so much the way you put yourself out not only to get the kids ready and come to a church service, but uh, preparing food before you come. That makes for a full day. We know it makes for a full day. And uh, I know how hard it is. I watched BR do it for years, but uh, I know how difficult it is to get everything ready. I know BR, when we used to come, uh, when we had our kids at home, she always had a rule that she lived by. I think her mama gave it to her. But uh, the rule was you, you fix for your own family and then you fix for another family whenever we have a, a meal during our church services. And when you're fixing two meals like that, that's a pretty good chore. But uh, we always did it. You all do it. And we appreciate it very much it makes the church here look good and that's important because what we are or are not has a has a great effect on those who come to be with us and you made us look good and from the bottom of my heart i thank you because you're so precious to our objective here at Center Grove. You might not know it, but Thursday is going to be Thanksgiving. You might have forgot your turkey. You better get to hunting one. Might have forgot your ham or whatever. It's going to be a busy week. BR's not even going to work this week. Used to. She'd work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and have a turkey on Thursday. Those days are long gone. Now when it comes Thanksgiving time, she just takes the whole week off. Makes it a little easier. It's a big week coming up. It's a time where theoretically we're supposed to give thanks. This is why this particular holiday uh, originated, was the giving of thanks. The pilgrims used to give thanks because they were truly thankful for their harvest, their confidence that they'd have what they needed to get through a, a harsh winter and come out on the other end still alive. It was a time to be grateful to God for all the blessings he gave. So very important. But thankfulness doesn't seem to abound like it once did, if it did. When you're a kid, everything seems right. Maybe I make, uh, make things bigger than they used to be. I don't know. I've been watching the college kids on television over the last few weeks, and I can't believe how anybody can go to Harvard and be so dumb. But they expressed more ignorance than any human being I've ever seen.
And they go to Harvard, of all places, an Ivy League school, supposed to put out our lawyers, our judges, our presidents. And they are so thankless, so unthankful, they have no gratitude whatsoever. They're kids. Most of them have never worked. Everything they've got was given to them by their parents, most likely. And they seem to hate everything. They hate our country. We're evil. They hate Israel. They think Hamas is great. Even though Hamas committed some atrocious murders. There's nothing they like. There's nothing that's right. Everything about our country is wrong. And they're quick to tell us about it. They protest, they fight. The other day they killed a guy. No gratitude. None. They've never done anything in their entire lives. But they're the only thing in this world that's right. It's not just Harvard. It's across the country. It's not all schools. I see where Tennessee schools came out pretty good. But it seems to be up mostly in the north. Not completely, but mostly. Protests, violence. Remember the summer of love a few years ago? It's not supposed to be. It shouldn't be that way. We live in the greatest country on earth. It's not perfect, not even close. I can't think of a place I'd rather be. People in Russia don't say that. Listen, being thankful is more important than I ever believed it was. And I want to talk about that. That's all I want to talk about. I'm only going to make one point. That's how serious I think this point is. And I want you to listen and learn and live it. When I read this, the Lord stepped all over my toes. And now I'm going to try and step on yours. Let's think about it. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the fact that God is righteous. That's revealed all the way back in Genesis but how God makes people righteous, okay? We know we were unrighteous and we became righteous. 
And the gospel tells us how that happened. And we know how it happened. Jesus died for our sins. And by and through the atonement of his own blood, he paid for our sins. Our unrighteousness was excluded. And he freely gave us the status of being righteous. And we didn't have to do anything. He just did it because he could. And because of him, we who were on death row have since been removed from it. We have hope. We have hope in this world. We have hope in the world to come because of what Jesus did for us. This is what Paul's saying. In the gospel, we're told exactly how the Lord does that from faith to faith. It bolsters our faith. My little faith becomes stronger faith. My stronger faith becomes even stronger faith. From faith to faith, I grow because of what Christ did for me. As it is written, the just, those who are justified, those who are pardoned, forgiven, they live by faith. This is how we are to live, by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live it, we walk it, we think it, we talk it. And because we do so, he justifies us. Now, we have everything to be thankful for. Everything. Everything we needed has been given to us. Everything my BR needed has been given to her, to my kids, my grandkids. Why? Because Jesus gave it to us. I have every reason in the world to be happy, regardless of my external circumstances. Because I have hope. I have hope of eternal life. And so do you. I'm not going to say we're going to walk around with a smile on our face all the time. I'm not talking about that. But regardless of the circumstances of our day, we still have a reason to be thankful to God for what he did for us when he let Jesus come into the world and surrender his life to human beings. And that's something we have got to think about that. We've got to think about that and think about that some more. Because the consequences of not thinking about that is disastrous. Let me show you how Paul goes on with his argument. The wrath of God. He's talking about the gospel that brought us our salvation and the person. And it's something that we ought to be thankful for. Now then, the wrath of God, the anger of God. God is a, is, a, is a violent person when he's angry. We look at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three cities of the plain. And in his anger, Jehovah rained down fire and brimstone on those cities. He destroyed those cities. Those cities were occupied by people. They were occupied by men, women, children. They lived in those cities. And when God got angry, he rained down fire from heaven. 
The cities and the people that inhabited the cities were destroyed. Three, Lot and his two daughters, are the only ones out of that entire population that escaped the wrath of God. When you talk about the wrath of God, you're thinking about the flood. Remember the flood. Some estimate that there were about 2 billion people in the earth at that particular time. And God caused the water to fall, the water to come up. And in 40 days, he flooded the entire earth. There was no place to go. There was no place to hide. There was only reservoir of safety, and that was the ark that he had Noah construct. During that time, every person living on the earth was destroyed. When God gets angry, terrible things happen. We talk about the place that Jesus created for the devil and his angels. A place of torment. A place of continuous fire. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in a fire that never goes out? A fire that never ceases to burn. It's outer darkness. The screams, the pain, the anguish, the agony. And there's no hope that it will ever stop. I can think of nothing worse in my whole life than hell. And the Lord created hell for the devil and his angels. But he's also going to use that place for people. What kind of people? Unthankful people. People who have no gratitude for the good that's been done to them. People that sees nothing good in all of life. People who don't appreciate what the Lord did for us. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's revealed all the time. We see the wrath of God all the time. God speaks through his actions. He speaks through the laws of nature. He continuously tells us time and time and time again that he can be made angry. And the creation itself tells us about that side of God. His anger, however, is directed toward godlessness and the wickedness of people. I'm using the NIV this time. I never use the NIV. Don't like it. But I'm using it here because I know the words. I know everything's correct. I'm using these words because they're very descriptive of what the Lord knows. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godliness, wickedness that suppresses the truth by their very wickedness. To suppress the truth is to minimize it. To make it where it's not necessarily visible. To hide it. Conceal it. How do they suppress the truth? How do they get the truth out of sight? It's by their wickedness. Their wickedness becomes so enormous 
that the truth can't be seen through it. Wickedness becomes the norm. Wrong becomes right. The lie becomes truth. Evil becomes good. And as these things change, the truth is suppressed, mashed down, put in a box, and locked up. The wrath of God is being revealed because the wickedness of people is suppressing the truth. Think about these things. Think how just during our lifetime, things have changed so very much. Gavin Newsom, governor of California, he's probably going to replace Joe Biden at the last minute, maybe at the Democratic Convention. But Gavin Newsom, I believe, is going to be the candidate, the Democrat candidate for president. A few days ago, Gavin Newsom said that the city of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, passed a law where you can't use the word gay. It's been blasted all over the world. You can't use the word gay in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's a lie. That's not a law. You can't outlaw a word. He knew it was a lie. He wants to be the president. And he told the lie as though it was the truth. We live, we live in, in, a, in a time where things have become so corrupt that a man can do something like that and you hardly hear people about it unless some preacher brings it up. These things go on all the time, all the time. Lies are told so much you can't tell what the truth is. The wrath of God is being revealed because the godliness, the wickedness of people is becoming so great, so much more intense, that it's suppressing the truth and the truth of God can't be seen or heard. Since what may be known about God is plain to man. You can know all about God by everything that's around us. If you're going to Ponder the question, does God exist? You don't want to go to the Bible. That's, that's the wrong way to go about it. If you want to know if, if God exists, you've got to look at the creation itself. How did it get here? How did human beings get here? Why are human beings dominant among the animal creatures? What's love? How do you see love in a microscope? Or hate? There are so many obvious conclusions right in front of our face that you can't deny the existence of God. As, as Paul said, it's plain. 
all the evidence testifying to the fact that God is, is right before our face, therefore, he's going to imply, there's, there's no excuse for godlessness or wickedness. Unless, of course, a person's not in possession of any gratitude for the creator. It would be contempt for God would be the only thing that could be the cause of that type of attitude. Because God has made it plain to him. God revealed himself to us. We got fingerprints. They're all over the place. The fingerprints of God. And all you have to do is examine the fingerprints and you're going to see God on every hand. Billions and billions of fingerprints. I can't think of anything that demonstrates more evidence than God does in the fact that he exists. He made the world, he made us, and he wants us to know that he did it. He's not hiding from us, he's revealed himself to us. And Paul said he did it on purpose. He made it plain where anybody could see it. Since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities such as his eternal power, his divine nature. You can go on with an entire list. His love, his hate, his truth, his opposition to a lie. You can consider the many, many qualities of God who created us and gave us life. And Paul said all these things have been clearly seen. So clearly seen that they could be understood from what is made, that is the creation itself. God is so clear to us that Paul went on to say people are without excuse. I used to have trouble with that statement. I, I didn't know if I agreed with it or not. But I do now. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. I used to have a problem with that statement. But the truth of the matter is you have to be of a fool's mentality to draw the conclusion that there is no God. Little children know better. A child looked up at the moon and said, Mama, who made the moon? The very fact that the moon exists Taught that child that somebody had to make it. It didn't get there on its own. And if a young child can understand such elementary things, how much more us adults should understand those things? Unless, of course, we don't want to understand. And that's always a very real possibility. Notice, though, God's invisible qualities are so clearly seen that there's no excuse for not believing in God. I remember back when I used to think, if there is a God, what my excuses would be. Well, you know what I had on my mind. I didn't believe in all that religion stuff. I thought, well, at least I'm being honest. I don't believe it. I won't join any kind of religion because I don't want to be the hypocrite. 
And God, you made me. You know my heart. You know what I'm all about. Surely, I wouldn't be rejected if there is a judgment. So many times we try to bargain with God. But listen to what Paul said. God has made himself so visible to you and I that there's no excuse anyone can offer him. There's nothing. Either we acknowledged God in our lives or we did not. It's black and white. It's one way or the other. And God knows the truth. Regardless of what I might tell myself, and I always found it easy to lie to myself about something I wanted to believe. He's made himself so clear that there's no excuse for unbelief. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. Twice he said that, also in the 53rd Psalm. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Who are these? Those who have turned away from the visibility of God. Those who turn away from the visibility of God are on a downhill path. Watch the path as it develops. They knew God. Everyone knew God. At least initially. Who made the moon, Mama? That child knew there was a God. She didn't know his name. She knew there was a God. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Right here is what I want you to get. This is all of it. They neither glorified him as God nor did they give him thanks. The glory of God is the sum of all the attributes of his being. You want to remember that definition. The glory of God is the sum of all the attributes of his being. God is a good. God is love. God is eternal. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. And the list goes on and on. These are the characteristics or the attributes of God. What Paul was saying is that you put all of these attributes together. That is the glory of God. I made a little chart. Maybe that'll help. The creation, the universe, for example, reveals the glory of God. The universe is not the glory of God. That's the product of God. But the universe reveals divine glory. There were several things that were essential when it came to making the universe. We see the wisdom of God, the brilliance, the genius of God Almighty. And then he hanged all them planets up out there in space. They don't wander off. They don't go drifting apart. They just stay right where they're put. And they're hanging on nothing, just like the world does. You can see the power of God. God's big enough to lift the sun. God's big enough to stretch the universe. 
the power that he possesses goes beyond description. We see the strength of God, the might of God. These are some of the attributes of God. There are many more, but it would defeat my purpose to put them all up here. Just remember that these are the attributes of God. Now, the sum of all the attributes of his being, you add all of these attributes up, the totality of the characteristics of God, and what have you got? You've got the glory of God. When you look at these characteristics of God, you're looking at the glory of God. You can see the glory of God just as sure as you can see the power of God or the brilliance, the genius of God. You put them all together, you add them all up, and you have the divine glory. <clears throat> so the sum of all the attributes of his being is the glory of God. Okay, now, this is one of the things that Paul says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to glorify him as God. We're to know what his attributes are, understand what his attributes are. And then the second part, to give God glory is to acknowledge his glory and extol it. I know what the glory of God is. It's the qualities of God. Now, to give glory to God or to glorify God is to acknowledge yes God is all wise he is all powerful he is all strength and the list goes on and on and on to glorify God is to acknowledge God for everything that he is and to extol it to praise him like we do, we sing praises to God. We speak to him as our father. We mention some of the qualities of God when we pray. To glorify God is to put God first in our life. First and foremost, there is God. Now, Paul said, people did not glorify God. They did not give God his place. They did not acknowledge him. And the second part, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we see how the four and twenty elders did. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive our glory. Why? For or because you created all things. The creation shouts, God is. Therefore, he's worthy of our glory. Because God created the world and by his power everything exists. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 4, what Jehovah, well what was read a few moments ago, that Jehovah said, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, does he? Most wise men do, in fact, glory in their wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, is he? Most of the mighty men do glory in their might. 
They're, they're strong. They're powerful. They control people. They control cities. They control countries. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Do rich men glory in their riches? This is a vain thing, Jehovah says, to spend your life glorying in such unessential aspects of human life. But let him with glory, glory in this, that he understands and that he knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. If you're going to glory in anything, glory in the fact that you know me, Jehovah, that I am your God, that I am your creator, that I am the key to eternal life. Paul said this is what they failed to do. In Galatians 6.14, Paul said, But God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory in the fact that Christ died for my sins, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We glorify God by confessing our sins. We're agreeing that God is greater than I. That's why I confess my sins to God. Joshua said to Achan, the man that stole some of the forbidden fruits of Jericho, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. In what way? We make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan could bring glory to God and glorify God by confessing his sin, acknowledging that he was inferior to the superior. They did not glorify God. They did not give God thanks. They were unappreciative. God created our world. He supplies us air. He gave us our love. He gave us our children. What do I have that God hasn't given? Everything I have, everything I am has been a gift from God. Do I thank him for it? Do I appreciate what he's done for me? Sometimes I don't, not like I ought to, and I know it. That's one of the reasons why I'm preaching this today. I dumped on me, now I'm going to dump on you. What goes around comes around. I'm not always as thankful as I ought to be. And I'd say you probably aren't either. But we ought to be, we need to be, we must be. They didn't glorify him as God. They wouldn't give him thanks. What happens? They started going downhill. Their thanking became futile. They should have thought about their creator and what the creator's done for them. Instead, they started thinking about their wealth, their power, their might, their strength, looking for other things to glory in since they weren't going to glory in God. 
Their foolish hearts became dark after all this futile thinking. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. It was a downhill turn. When they didn't acknowledge God, the only way was down. We've watched it before our eyes. We've seen it happening. We've watched the trend downward in our own nation. But what about in my own life? Am I thankful? Or do I just take it for granted? <clears throat> they didn't want to deal with God. They expelled him for their country. No more prayer in school. No more Bible in school. We'll have nothing about God in public. It makes people feel bad about themselves. Therefore, everybody hush. Leave God out of popular conversation. And from that time forward, their foolish hearts grew darker and darker and darker and darker on their plunge downward till ultimately it was destruction. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said. For many, I say to you, they will try to enter through that gate, but they won't be able to. They just won't be able to. The heart's too dark. I never thought about how our being unthankful could be so detrimental to our future until the other day. But that's what's being pointed out to us. We should give thanks. We should give thanks to God He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our savior. We should give thanks to God for the past, the present, and the future. Instead of God being God, he ought to become a central part of my life. He should be my family's centerpiece. We need to know him, understand him, and thank him for every great thing he has done for us. And other than our salvation, one great thing that always crosses my mind this time of year is that God let me be born in the United States of America. Examine yourself. This between you and the Lord. It's none of my business. How's your relationship with your father? Is it personal? Is it tight? Is it close? Is it good? 